And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome in to Rates and Barrels. It is Project Prospect. I am Chris Welsh. There is no DVR. I am joined by Eno, and today is the Prospect Project Prospect, of course I would screw it up. I've always screwed it up the entire year. The Project Prospect season finale. This is it. This is the last Project Prospect focused episode we're doing of the, this season, or at least for... Well, we may have... Yeah, we may have some uh, Project Prospect uh, bits and pieces, you know, because we're going to slim down uh, the number of rates and barrels we'll hear in, in a given week, uh, starting next week, and... Uh, so therefore, you know, I think Mondays will be project prospects slash news. We can't not talk about the, the news of the weekend. Uh, and then Fridays will be, you know, some waiver wire action. But as the season ends and we're just looking at the worst waiver wires of all time, then, you know, there's uh, some news, the week's news to be done. So we'll be more of a Monday to Friday from here on out uh, after tomorrow's episode and today's episode. Uh, and, uh, so there'll be project prospect. Uh, what are they called? Uh, what is it called when you do like a, like a segment? We'll oh yeah. Segments. It's, it's, we'll, yeah, it's segment. we'll do segments, but this will be the last one. That's mostly, most of the show. Now the, the good thing for me, hopefully good thing for you guys is that it doesn't mean I'm gone because we are without DVR for a little bit as he is, uh, you know, being a dad, taking care of that at the back end of the year. So I will be filling in in replacement for the next month. So even though this is the last project quote prospect dedicated episode, I will be back again tomorrow with Eno. And then I will be doing the Mondays uh, through October where we will throw in, you know, some uh, anecdotal note things that are going on, which ironically are going to lead into the Arizona fall league into October. So that's a little bit of housekeeping for you guys. And I'm coming. I'm are you, coming. you officially was, yeah, because I'm I think there was a question coming. if it was going to happen. So no, we answered that question. Oh, the beautiful. Budget. So then we get to, <laughs> we get to rate and barrel it up in person and we get to my, one of my oh, favorite yeah, things. We should, we should do one. We, we can do one. We can absolutely yeah, we do, one. do one. Uh, one of my favorite things on the planet. And I've said this for a long, way before, Eno and DVR were nice enough to have me on or anything like that. But the time I get to spend with Eno, cause you know, you're always a busy guy. I've our relationship has definitely grown by doing a show every single week or whatnot. But like, I didn't want to bug you a whole bunch. And sometimes we might go like a year, a full year without talking. But when Eno comes out to first pitch, Eno is a superstar. Just to point out to you guys, he like everybody wants his attention. He's the bell of the ball. He is as nice as you could imagine. Like listening to him, they just want me for the 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 bag of beer that I always tow. And he maybe brings <laughs> in a big old toady bag. Eno is better in person than he is even on the podcast, so that would be one reason to come out. So I always get excited about the weird, unique situations you and I have always caught ourselves in. For whatever reason, like I said, we wouldn't talk for a year, and then all of a sudden you're driving in my car and we're doing a a podcast on the freeway for forty minutes, or you know, you one and of I the are first times we were hanging out. I'm pretty sure uh, we were you were listening in on an interview that I did with Clint Frazier, uh, Clint Jackson Frazier, I believe. And I was talking to him about uh, strikeouts. And uh, he said, from, he said famously, I just let it eat. I just let it. Yeah, one of my, actually, you know, my two favorite uh, memories, I, I kind of vaguely remember that one. One of them was talking to you after you had just talked to Brett Phillips and Brett Phillips told you he was just like, yeah, I just want to be like a number seven on a team. (laughs) And you're like, like, what? I think he said nine hitter. And I was like, dude, you're like, you're in the national league. They still had D they didn't have the H's at the time. That was one of my favorites. And then uh, also (laughs) sitting in on talking when you did an interview with Michael Chavis and I was kind of sitting in there and that's always been the thing. I kind of float around you and I would talk. We've, 
you know, we've, we, it's each a other bunch on of cool the field. stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Catch up on the field, do interviews, talk about players, talk through them. That's a fun thing. And now we're doing the podcast together. So I have had a great time doing Project Prospect with you as somebody who I get to kind of do an in-person Project Prospect with when you are out here in Arizona we, for uh, first We had pitch. another spirited, de- we had a spirited debate about J.B. Bukowskis, I think. Yeah, that was the other one. I was going to tell you, actually, one of my favorite things, uh, this is like a digging prospect one. It was you, myself, and James Anderson. We went yeah. away. This was at the Scottsdale Stadium and if you've ever been there, they've got this big like porch out in right field. And that's where the first pitch party was and get people getting their drinks and stuff. And you, James and myself, we kind of made our way over to sitting behind home plate and we were watching J.B. Bukowskis. And what I was asking you and the, and the question still holds was I was like, what type of data have we seen on sub six foot pitchers being successful in the major league? Because that was the thing about Bukowskis was a huge prospect at the time with the Astros. But it was like. Yes, you have a great slider. Yes, you got a good, good fastball at that time. But what was the success rate of these rather shorter pitchers? And you were kind of espousing about that. Has, has anything changed? Are we are we still in kind of a you're under six foot? You're going to have a really tough time being a starting pitcher, right? Well, I don't know. I, I found when I looked at major leaguers, I found no relationship between height and outcomes. But that's not quite the question you asked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there are short pitchers that make it to the big leagues and are successful. You know, like Marcus Stroman is a shorter pitcher and he's successful. Yes, one. But and, and so that screws up that screws up any sort of correlations you're trying to do, right? You're like, yeah. oh, you know, is there a correlation between height and success? Height and I, I did height and success, height and like uh, career war, height and uh, fastball velo, height and strikeouts, height and strikeout rate. I found no correlations, right? between those things. But that has a real big portion of survivor bias to it. It's like, you know, those are those are the ones who succeeded. How about all the people who didn't succeed? Yeah. And there is a piece of evidence that there is that there is a sort of not minimum height, but that height helps you perhaps become a big leaguer in that major league pitchers are like average 6-2, I think. Well, that was kind of my point I was or about six, to say one. is like it's like they they average over 6 feet and that's not the, the general population averages under six feet. So like there is something there where like, you know, the major league pitchers are taller. I mean, but, and that's kind of my point is like, you can point to Marcus Stroman, but how many other pitchers can you point to that are under six feet tall that are starting pitchers? It's a dumb thing, by the way, because it, it falls in line along the lines you would think of like the same thing where you look at a guy like Jose Altuve and you're like, well, that guy's five foot four or whatever, you know, <laughs> like he can't, he can't play, but they can, but in baseball, there is some weird correlation that kind of floats around of how many are those? I remember we talked about that with Davey Garcia, who used to be a Yankees prospect, who's now with the White Sox. And it's like the, whatever that weird thing is about the holdup, maybe it's zone, whatever it is, you you just I can't think of sub six foot starting pitchers, not relief pitchers, starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And as you've said, I think the average male is five foot eight. If the average height of a starting pitcher is six one or six two, there's a discrepancy there. So I don't I don't know what that is. And that that it's a debate we can continue. Maybe we can have it again at first pitch. Maybe that could be a pan I would love to have a panel on that. I want to find out about it. But that was what you, James, and I were talking about. And and guess what? JB Bukowskis is a, a journeyman reliever at this point. He's not a starting pitcher. So it it did kind of self answer itself. You look like you're in de- you're you're trying to find some some heightism things for me. Are you finding <laughs> yeah, some heightism I, for pitchers? I just I just doing a, a a quick baseball reference search for uh people under 5'11". Okay, while you're doing that, I'll set up here. So in this final one, we actually do have um it's kind of could be similar to what we're going to be doing in the other episodes. We're going to be talking Fromber. about the news. How old, how high how tall is Fromber? How high is Fromber? That is how a good high? question. <laughs> <laughs> He's five eleven. Uh, Sunny Gray. Okay. Five ten. Okay. Sunny Gray is should one. Uh, Tim yeah, that's a good one. The obvious one. Tim Lincecum is was a short guy. Uh, Pedro Martinez was a short guy. Yeah. But uh, if you want uh, pitchers under six feet, uh, I don't know. There's some criteria here that in terms of qualified pitchers, maybe it's qualified pitchers or something. Um, but, uh, it's only showing Fromber and Sonny Gray for like the last three years. <laughs> so, I mean, I just want to point out, like, there's a correlation. Yeah, that's, that's, to, that's two guys. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. That's not good. And kind of different guys, I, I would say as well. I would say like, if you could find 
sub six foot with like big fastballs or something like that. But I wouldn't put that on Fromber, maybe more on uh, on Sunny Gray. But there is still some correlation there. But it also would be probably about finding who those pitchers are in the minor leagues to even have that conversation about. At that time, it was Bukowskis. Davey Garcia came up, but we don't have a whole bunch of those. But but those are the weird things that end up happening when you get a whole bunch of baseball people together. We ask, I tend to ask weird questions, and then we get you know weird, crazy analysis, and then it ends later at the night with drinking some uh, some beers that Eno brought. That's what's so great about <laughs> first pitch and hanging out with you. So on the episode, we actually have a couple uh, bigger major league pieces of news. Some not-so-prospect-prospect news, one of which is a fantastic article that Eno has got on The Athletic right now about uh, Cole Reagans, which I want to talk about. Some prospects in the majors, some top prospects that are going big, and that's kind of if we get to it. Also very interested in how the MLB draft prospects have been producing, because there's been high-level production that these guys have moved up. So we've got a smorgasbord of of, uh, prospect things to talk about here and maybe we'll have some more uh, heightism and how high how high is pitcher uh, with some more hard hitting analysis like that. The the two big uh, baseball pieces. I just wanted to point out one of which I thought was really interesting. Uh, Shohei Otani's agent came out and said that they 100% plan for Otani to still be a two way player, and uh, I believe he's also going for some testing today as we're recording this. So that you know. Wonder if that testing has anything to do with them also waiving six of their major leaguers and what is he out here playing for? The other little piece they did note that at some point, Otani is going to have some type of procedure. That's what they said. So at some point, there's some type of procedure. This is really great news. I'm just curious if there has been any more chatter into your world about this idea, especially if Otani is committed to being two way, whether it is from teams or players or scout or whatever it is. I'm just curious, uh, really your thoughts on him continuing to be a two way player as we're getting word. Uh, You know, one of the revelations from uh, the agent uh, was that this tears in a completely different place is not in the, uh, the place that was repaired last time. And it is closer to the elbow. Um, I don't know why that's good, but he seemed to think that was good. Um, and I guess it's good that it wasn't the, the graft itself. So that's holding. Um, but now I'm reading between the lines. Now I'm speculating, uh, where what I'm speculating on is the fact that he continues to play, um, and talks about being ready for the bell in 2024. That's something his agent said. So that's something, those are facts that he continues to play and that his agent thinks he can be ready for the beginning of next season. The only procedure that I can think of that may line up with these two things is an internal brace. And that uh, is something that sometimes has like a six month uh, timetable timetable in case, in which case he would not be necessarily pitching to begin 2024 but uh, he could rehab fairly quickly from that and be hitting uh, to begin 2024. Did you believe when maybe... he said that they were implying that he would be ready to pitch next year? Or you just you no, know... no. I'm just okay. I'm trying to connect the dots because gotcha. you know agents are gonna. It's kind of double speaky and like he's gonna be ready for the bell in 2024 as a pitcher or as a hitter. He's gonna he's gonna be a two way pitcher, two way player. Yeah, yeah. But but to begin 2024 or later, you know, <laughs> See, he kind of like. He kind of like skirted along. So my what my understanding of this is he will pitch. He may not pitch at all next season. It may be a full Tommy John. But the way he was talking about those tears and stuff, I'm speculating that there might be a room for an internal brace, which has a shorter recovery period and may allow him to hit while he's recovering. Uh, and uh, we could talk about maybe a half season or two thirds of a season pitching next year because uh, if he got it October 1, November, December, January, February, uh, he starts hitting four months in. I think four months into a, a six-month process, you're hitting. If he's, they're saying he can hit now without affecting it, I think he can hit four months in. So uh, then you start hitting uh, March, April. Uh, and then you start your sort of pitching rehab process, which is he going to do that on the side or is he going to go back down? It's going to depend on his new organization, but maybe two months into the season, he's pitching again if it's an internal brace. So 
you know, and how are they going to use him? You know, is he is the new team going to say we want you, you know, more bulkish? You know, we want you more of this, we want you more of that. Uh, the new team is going to have some say in all this, and uh, maybe that's part of the process too. Is like wanting to get to the postseason and start talking to teams about what they want, what they want them to do. You know, because yeah, I, I'm smirking. If you're going to give me five hundred million, then like, yeah, you guys can tell us what surgery you want us to take. You know? I'm also smirking at the implication that you've ju- you just affirmatively have said like new team, new team. Because one of the things oh, that yeah. I, I think that's well with the injury, I kind of was loudly saying like, hey, listen, this was the one scenario where I thought Otani could return to the Angels because of this injury and what might happen with the market and people kind of playing like, oh, the pitching thing's not going to change. He'll get his money, and it's like, well, you know what? Teams might still be apprehensive of a half a billion dollars on a player. What if he does a one-year pillow contract? That was a question to the agent, uh, which he did not like. Yeah, well, that's what I thought could happen. Or like, you know, he he gets not answer. (laughs) But he gets a big contract from the Angels, and then there's an out after two years or whatever, so he has time to blah, blah, blah. But... Then with the or team, a team out like there maybe there's like team like maybe there's certain vesting situations or something. Yeah, that that was something I thought. But then when they like waved all the player, the team's embarrassing. And then they publicly said like we told Otani he should get checked, and they said no. Like those are all bad things that ended up happening. There also is a side implication that he could also not do anything. Like with this recovery, he could do slow recovery. He could not have any surgery, even into this off season, sign his contract when he's with a new team, we're committed to hit. And then let's see where this goes into the next off season. And then he has one of the, you know, so there's also the potential that they could kick this can down the road. If, um, if they so choose and they, you know, have him kind of be a hitter with a uh, pitcher into the future, but something to watch. And yeah, on the three O show, Britt had talked to uh, people who know these sort of things. And they said that the uh, location, the arm that this is on and the fact that he hits uh, left-handed does fall into the equation that he, uh, he is probably not uh, risking his uh, further tear in the elbow, you know, because of the way the back elbow moves. Is it a back elbow? There's a front elbow. He's hitting left-handed. It says front elbow. The way the front elbow moves in a swing uh, does not uh, put him at further risk. You know, So he's, he's not risking anything further by, by hitting. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But if they do do these testing and he does do what you are saying, if he were to have that surgery now in the beginning of September, you could actually probably start hitting into January sometime in January. Right, right. You could start it hitting if like, you get it, it now. It seems so. like, yeah, there's some Angels home run records that his agent was asked about. There's, uh, you know, some proof of concept, like I'm one of the best hitters. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out of this testing today and he's done for the season. Yeah, I wouldn't. I either. mean, it could happen at any moment. And then you could be good to go for the season. Um. Other piece of news, it's nasty news, and it's also maybe about a pitcher that won't pitch in 2014 or maybe ever again. Julio Urias was arrested on a felony domestic violence charge, and this is his second charge of this. And uh, it doesn't look good. It does not look good. I also don't, I haven't seen a whole lot of details on Adino. You and I were kind of looking. The previous one uh, was not a great situation. He was suspended for 20 games. This one is going to hold much bigger weight, though we just don't really have details on it. And this is probably minimally, if you want to really get like down to it, this could minimally half a year, maybe normalized a full year, and a bigger thing, which is being um, 
kind of talked loudly about is maybe ever again. So I don't know if you have any thoughts, but we're, we're not going to see Julio Urias for significance of 2024, most likely after this latest charge. Yeah, this is uh, really disconcerting. Also, you know, you know, some of the particulars are not great at all because uh, when he got in, in trouble in 2019, he suspended 20 games uh, for a, something that was according to witnesses. The pitcher shoved his girlfriend to the ground in, in, a, in a shopping mall parking lot. And his, his statement at the time, and this is a quote that he released through the MLBPA, even in this instance where there was no injury or history of violence, I understand and agree that MLB players should be held to a higher standard. Now, now we have a history of violence, and uh, the longest suspensions under this policy so far: Trevor Bauer for 194, Sam Dyson for 162, Jose Torres for 100, Carlos Martinez 85, Odubel Herrera 85, Hector Oliveira 82, Domingo Herman 81, and Jimmy Cordero 76. So. I think he's going to slot in there somewhere. Um, well, this is also the second instance. I think Herman wasn't Herman's like the first instance of like a felony domestic violence charge, and it was eighty games. You have a history of it now. I can't imagine this is less for than a year. But also, I'm done with the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers or any team would be outside of the Yankees. I hate to say it. Like, what teams have stuck by these players in these instances? I can't imagine they didn't do it with Bauer. Well, It'd be a bad precedent to do it agency. with Urias. It's through free agency. And that's been part of it too. You know, even uh, for the Yankees, it's been like, well, you know, he's still under contract. He says he's going to get better. Obviously there were some other issues there uh, with the drinking. So, um, you know, maybe there was some, stuff that we haven't seen where they're trying to help him get sober or this or that, you know, like trying, trying to actually help the player um, yeah. that's still with the organization. In this case, you've got this free agency situation for Urias. That's just going to leave him out there. In, in which case he's a little bit more like uh, Trevor Bauer, who uh, all the teams declined to sign uh, as a free agent, um, you know? And, uh, and so I think you may have that same thing for Urias. Um, you know, I don't want necessarily want to speculate or comment on, you know, who is more likely to be able to come back from that. Um, but um, I would I would assume that the precedent is here that your race is going to be older over 85 games. I would also at the very assume, least. Yeah, I would. I don't very know least. if he gets all the way to Sam Dyson's 162. Um, there was like uh, for Sam Dyson, I, I guess it, there was sort of some documentation that had been going on for a while. Um, in this case, though, you still kind of have that documentation, right? You have like, you know, two incidents over a certain period of time. I, I don't know if you can assume that it's been going on the whole time throughout, but um, in any case, I would think it's somewhere between 100 and 162. Yeah. I know that's a pretty wide gap, but that that does take him out of this year. It takes him out of, I would say, most of next year. And it leaves him as a free agent in the middle of uh, a suspension. So um, it's not good news. No. And as more things come to light, it'll probably speak to the severity of, um, you know, if there's not other document, if it, it will speak to the bigger source of where this is going to go. And uh, it doesn't look good no matter what. Let's turn it over. We're turning it over to the project prospect side of this in our finale. And this guy came into the season as a prospect. This is a not necessarily so much prospect eligible player now, but I want to talk about it because this is the not so prospect prospect. You put this article together and this is going to be one of the most talked about players in this off season. I'm fine with however much we want to cover on this. I got other stuff, but we can kind of plow through it. You know, Cole Reagans has been the talk of fantasy baseball league winner. I picked him up. This is amazing. I picked him up freely in a dynasty league earlier this year, 16 team Me just too. floating out there. 20 able team. To I did picked him up in devil's rejects <laughs> and I'm going to be walking into next year with him. Cole Reagan's most recent start six innings, one hit seven K's even more amazing 22 swing and whiffs. And I went and calculated two hard hit balls, both under a hundred. So no ball hit over a hundred in this most recent start. And you have, um, pinned or typed, however you want to say it, an article over on The Athletic, which you guys can check out, you should right now, about 
Cole Reagans and how he became the flamethrower that he is. So there's a couple things in this. Um, there's the where this is going to lead to, but I'd love to hear uh, your conversation with Reagans and what led to this. And let's get a breakdown from this article on Cole Reagans, this new the the new Cole Reagans that we're seeing. Well, it's a really fun article because I got led into the process on both sides, uh, and it's a unique opportunity because in uh, if it was his hit if pitching coach for the Rangers or for the. Uh, the Royals that had done most of the heavy lifting, I don't know if they would have told me everything they did. But uh, the real thing that Cole Reagans did was he went to Tread, uh, which is, uh, Tread Athletics is one of these uh, these shops like a driveline uh, where they do uh, they do player development uh, for, for pitchers outside of, uh, outside of the regular sort of team structure. And he went to Tread and he started working with Tyler Zombro. And Tyler Zombro is a really interesting character who uh, is still trying to pitch in the big leagues, but is also coaching um, and uh, knows what it's like to overcome uh, injury and, uh, and, and persevere because he was hit in the face uh, by like a 98 mile an hour hit uh, and had, there's a great story by Bridger about his own story. Uh, coming back. And so Cole Reagans' story starts with the fact that he had Tommy John and then he tore it on the last rehab start, uh, you know, coming back from the Tommy John. He had to have a second Tommy John. Uh, so he never made it back. And, um, you know, I don't want to give away the whole piece, but one of the th- real interesting things for me was that Tyler said that the fact that he rehabbed for so long and it was like two straight years of rehabbing actually led to some problems. And if you think about it, that's not surprising because what do they do in rehab from Tommy John? One of the things is they tell you, uh, stop throwing your hard breaking ball. Well, that's something that you do to to strike batters out. So how long are you going to, like what if you took two years off of throwing a slider? You know, you might not come back with a slider. That's what happened with Cole Reagans. Uh, another thing that they do in rehab is like, don't go all out. We don't want you to throw like competitive. We're not at the competitive stage yet. We want you to kind of, you know, throw free and easy or whatever that is. Well, there's a difference in your mechanics when you throw 98 than when you throw 88 or whatever, right? And so if you start, if you rehab for two years, you're kind of building your body to throw 88, throw change ups, and, you know, not stress the body or whatever. You know what I mean? And so he rehabbed for so long that uh, it affected his top end velo. It affected his hard breaking ball. And uh, the process coming back was uh, had to do with uh, these little exercises kind of called plyometrics, which are um, just ways to activate small muscles uh, in your body. Uh, so he did a bunch of that. Uh, and we talked about uh, the specifics of that with, with Tyler and with Cole. Um, and then he went on a weighted ball program for the first time in his life. And, uh, he's a, a devotee to that now, devotee to that now he throws, uh, weighted balls every day. Uh, and then the last bit, uh, that was, uh, was really interesting was that, uh, he noticed that when he, even when, so he, he comes to camp with Texas and he's already throwing, uh, 98, 99 in spring. And everyone's like, Whoa, that's new. Um, but he's not throwing the slider. And uh, uh, he gets traded to uh, to the Royals, possibly because he's already had two Tommy Johns. So there's some aspect of like, well, he's throwing 99 now and like he's already had two Tommy Johns. Like, I don't want to be there when it breaks again, you know. Uh, so that might have been the, the rationale behind the Texas, Texas trading for Roldis Chapman. Um, but uh, his first start in Omaha, uh, you know, I think he had one or two starts in Omaha and he just lefties were were going nuts on him. And he was like, I'm a lefty you know, why are lefties going nuts on me? And he realized I'm throwing a cutter to lefties and all they're doing is it's not enough separation off the fastball. All they're doing is sort of shooting it the other way, you know, like micro adjusting. He said they're micro adjusting their barrel and just, you know, making contact with it. And so he went back to Tyler and he, they like, they looked at stuff plus, they looked at a stuff plus map and were like, you know, where's the best slider for me? And he was like, Oh, it's here. Uh, and so he identified a movement pattern he wanted, a velo he wanted, and now he throws an 88 mile an hour gyro slider that pulls the whole package together. And that's now 88 mile an hour gyro slider, 83 mile an hour curveball, uh, you know, mid 80s change up that that got good while he was rehabbing, uh, and now a fastball that in his last start uh, he was sitting 97 plus. Uh, and, uh, and this is sitting, you know, this is crazy. Cause he was sitting 92 one last year. 
Uh, and that's that's just a huge increase. One of the thing, a couple things here. One on that slider, by the way, he's now throwing it almost ten percent of the time. If we round up, he has got a five pitch mix that is being used ten percent of the time. That's a wild mix. Also, it is the highest whiff percentage of any of his pitches. Forty six point seven percent whiff percentage right now. Every single one of his pitches, by the way, have a twenty or higher whiff percentage. And the lowest batting average against or expected batting average against is that slider right now. So that's been a game changer. I asked you this off air and I'm going to just bring it here again. What I can't understand, because we're going to ask the big question that has been alluded to online. We're going to do that here in a second. But what I can't understand, and I was trying to figure out, and when someone smarter can tell me, but when you told me that Cole Reagans had never done a weighted ball program before, I just was like, why? Like, why? Like, I don't understand why minor league systems have so much of a hands-off approach in so many ways to prospects that it will blow your mind, you listening, and it blows my mind sometimes because we think of these organizations and we think of baseball in general and we, we look at major leagues and we look at analytics and you hear Eno talk and you hear the smartness that comes from baseball. But then when you dig down to it, the amount of hands-off that happens with prospects at sometimes every level is astonishing to me. And you and, and the wasted talent and the missed opportunities of wasted talent shine in this, uh, this thing right here. How, how, if there's a proven track record, maybe it's just so new, teams haven't adjusted to it, that a thing like weighted yeah, ball... Weighted balls aren't that new anymore. You know? okay, but that's my thing. If you know that this can unlock stuff... How do you get to a point where this guy had never done it in his life, hits the majors, and then major leagues like, okay, now let's kind of take a look at this and let's do this. I just don't see why teams don't implement more of the things they do at the major league level to the minor league level. And I can't personally understand or listen to resources as being a, a reason behind it. You, I don't, no, I'm not no, buy it. no, it's not, it's not resources. But is it bad uh, for it's you? Complicated. you tell me, like, is is a way it's to complicated? I mean, I, the Giants here locally have made a strategy out of getting guys that have never done weighted balls. So Alex Wood, Alex Cobb, and Sean Manaya all picked up weighted balls the uh, off season they signed with, uh, uh, either the off season they signed with or just before they signed with the Giants. So I think the Giants have identified this as a possible uh, source of uh, of upside on the on the free agent market with veterans, even. Uh, but with veterans, I almost understand it more because even though it's not new, uh, weighted balls weren't necessarily around when they were coming up. You know, uh, like a guy like Alex Cobb. You know, like it, it's not super surprising to me that he hadn't done weighted balls because he, when he was a kid, like they weren't as much of a thing, right? So. That doesn't surprise me. But, you know, Cole Reagans is is more of a kid. He's a guy who's come up through the weighted ball era, you know, and you would have suspected that somebody had offered it to him. And the other thing I can say is there the, the player has some agency in this. The player has some autonomy. And so I don't think that, uh, you know, I, you don't like especially with something like weighted balls, there are some people out there who thinks it, it leads to injury. There are some studies. I think they're poor, poorly done studies, but there are some studies that sort of point to that. And that's what I was and, kind of leading to. I was curious is, was there some injury thing that would, I mean, I guess. You right. So I harder. think as an organization, you don't necessarily want to be like, you know, Hey, let's all do this thing that some people think leads to injury. Right. And then, and you definitely don't want to do that without giving the player some choice then. Right. So then you'll have some players who will be at an organization that, you know, most of the people are throwing weight at balls, but this player says, no, I think that leads to injury. I'm not going to do that. And you as a player development machine have to have to leave room for that. You have to be like, cool. Like that's, this is all choice. You know, like we think it's a good idea, but cool. And Cole himself said that in the process, in this process, someone had turned him on. He said somebody in Minnesota, I don't know who it is. Um, I should have asked him, but he said somebody in Minnesota, his friend of his in Minnesota had been uh, working at tread. And, and he said he got on a phone call with tread and 15 minutes later, he was like, yeah, I'm all in. And part of that was weighted ball. So, um, you know, to some extent there is a, a failure of maybe communication with Cole. It's like, you know, maybe somebody, uh, in the, uh, Texas organization sort of sat down with Cole and been like, here, here's a plan that I think could really work. And, you know, blah, 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 blah including weighted balls. And this is why these things are going to work for you. Um, and it seems like nobody really convinced Cole of that before. 
I will tell you, um, it seems like there are more stories of players improving themselves outside of organizations than there are of players finding themselves in organizations. Maybe it's recency. Maybe I'm thinking of it. I feel like the Rays, you actually hear of a lot of internal stuff, but the amount of times I hear you or you hear a player talk about driveline or, you know, Lars doing the weighted, uh, you know, the, the weighted vests and the, um, yeah, yeah. Like it's astonishing to me that teams are okay with these players finding themselves outside of their, own well, organization and not looking at themselves they're, they're they're okay with free player development help sure no but but that <laughs> but to me i would be like there's got to be something internally wrong with how we are approaching our system that we can't do these with players that we cannot identify these things and i think that's a failure in the system but it's kind of beside the point it's, it's i think it's, i think it, it may have something to do with media to some extent so you you heard me say that you know i got this ability to you know look inside the training process because he worked at, at, at tread right yeah so you know i'm more likely to write about this if i get full access to the the, the coach and what their methods are and get to like you know show some of that and show video like i had a video in there of of him doing these exercises. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that if he did all this with the Rangers, they'd be like, here's video of him doing the exercise we did to improve him. Cause there was like this, like cloak and dagger. Like we don't want everybody to know what we're doing, you know? Whereas the outside organization is like, yeah, we want everybody to know what we're doing because there's going to be some pitcher who reads this, who says, Hmm, I'm going to sign up with tread, you know, like it's yeah. like free advertising for them. So there, there is a something about how the media interacts with uh, a team's, and how they interact with these uh, shops like Driveline and and um, and Tread that that may lead to that sort of idea. I would I would think that there's lots of successes. I think of uh, things like the Astros pitching staff, um, the way the Dodgers keep just turning out young pitchers and trading them away and turning out new ones. Um, you know, even yeah, the way you're right. that you're right. Even the way that like. Um, you know, I think that the Marlins are really good at, at turning out starting pitching, you know, and they've they 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 all throw this crazy hard change up and, you know, they all have interesting fastballs and, you know, they, there's something in common and they're not all high draft picks. You know, some were traded, some were picked, some were signed internationally and they do a good job with all of them. So, uh, you know, there are definitely successes inside teams. And but ironically, you're right also that like, you know, I think teams should be a little bit more systematic uh, about player development and and should um, you know, at least have a weighted ball station at every, uh, at every, so they don't, you know, these players a lot of times have to buy their own weighted balls. It's, it's <laughs> the weirdest thing. I was just, I was just there. I saw a player be like, Hey, my new balls are in. And then it was like, Oh, let me touch your balls. And like, you know, there was like this whole like thing, but, uh, uh, you know, that guy had to buy his own. And, uh, that's a little weird. I think if I was running an organization, I'd be much more likely to be like, that's the weighted ball station. You know, like you guys have no money. I'm not going to make you pay for your own weighted balls. Like we've got the weighted ball station over there with the wall, the plyo wall and all the stuff you need to do. Like, and we have, we have internal programs that you can access uh, uh, for weighted balls. And if you ask us, we will help you with the arm care thing with weighted balls and, or, or we'll even suggest it to you because it's right over there and we, it's part of the system. And I don't think that every team is like that. I, I would treat it like a gym. Like, why not have every piece of equipment available? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, don't yeah, make, exactly. Be like, well, if you want to do dumbbells, you're going to have to bring your own dumbbells in. But we do you're have right. a bench press. Like, what? Like, what Crazy are you talking with about? that. Yeah. It, it's, I, that's how I, I would know, be. I bought my own dumbbells. <laughs> <laughs> we have a treadmill, but we don't have an elliptical. So you do. Yes. Also, what's so funny about that organization, those two organizations, by the way, the Royals and Rangers, they've built apartment complexes right outside their spring training complex that I live next to. They they invested, like they invest money. Those are really good things. That's They're, a really good thing. It's an amazing thing that they have housing for the, and it's like high facilities, high class facilities that are just right outside. It's actually look overlooks the Rangers backfield and it's two big buildings next to each other. There's security. They, they, they do awesome stuff. And it's like, but why not just have all of the things out there? All right. So all that aside. I'm kind of pontificating about that. The Here's the biggest question. And this is what everybody has already asked. And we already know the articles are coming. How do you identify the next Cole Reagans? And you and I were kind of trying to figure that out. That's going to be an article probably written a lot of times in the offseason by a lot of different I voices. Think, I think it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, one of the one aspect that's really impossible is knowing who out there hasn't done weighted balls and, and has like just waiting is just waiting for 
you know, an increase in VO. <laughs> like we were joking, like if Dane Dunning came back next year and was throwing 93, I would like him a lot more. You know? yeah. So I want to ask him, is he doing a weighted ball program? I guess, yeah, I guess right. he's I not, guess he's I, a ranger. So now I just have to do like a survey where I just go through, Hey, weighted ball. Nope. Hey, weighted ball. Nope. Uh, weighted ball. <laughs> I think, I wonder how quickly uh, a team would, would try to, shut me down from doing that or tell their players not to t- not to we, answer me or something we, we, you know, we like, should find out actually, if i that was that systematic experiment. if i just went into the clubhouse i was like hey i just need to know yes or no wait a ball wait a ball wait a ball they you should bring one in open. and be like do you know what this is do you know what this is i i would wager that like it would it, i might not even finish that media session without like a pr guy being like what are you doing that's so weird that's so weird so Um, you and i were toying around a little bit so like that's the hard part is if you want to take cole reagan's one of the biggest pieces is the weighted ball stuff how do we know that so how how are we going to know that but then what i throw out to you is like is the idea of the next cole reagan's just looking for big velo up is it as simple as trying to identify guys that have had big fastball velocity which is kind of such a simplistic thing we look at maybe it is but also part of the slider conversation we had earlier we have seen a lot of success with added sliders so do you think those are the two and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's the little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish visit directtv.com high speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply I mean, the added slider, I think, is a little bit easier to look for. I mean, one of the things that I did that was just really simple was um, put up a Fangraphs leaderboard, starting pitchers this year, have thrown at least 10 innings, um, and then I sorted by slider pitch type value. Um, and that's just an easy way to be like, who doesn't have a slider who's pitched this year? And there's, you know, there's people that I'm not like Jose Quintana, like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, James Paxton has a cutter that's basically a slider. So I'm not, I'm not really that they're not none of those guys are the next Cole Reagans, obviously. Um, but uh, and I think that the cutter slider thing is interesting. But uh, one name that's I think a little bit more of a shot in the dark. But uh, I, I was joking around. My kid uh, is a Padres fan now, um, the the eldest, and um, we, I was telling him that next year the Padres under contract and you know, there's some weird contracts that could be extended or options picked up, but really like lock solid under contract. They only have Joe Musgrove and possibly an injured you uh, Darvish. Um, and my dad and my kids said, well, they have Pedro Vila. And I said, yes, they have Pedro Vila. <laughs> uh, Pedro Vila does not throw a slider. Uh, and finding a slider for him, I think, would be uh, pretty good. Uh, just a hard pitch because he uh, he like uh, Cole Reagans throws uh, you know a curveball uh, and a changeup. So you know, it's having a hard pitch that looks like his fastball uh, could be good. A, a pitcher that I like better that doesn't throw a slider and does throw a cutter uh, uh, is Taj Bradley. Um, and uh, there's no. Um, there's no like uh, uh, there's no surety that this cutter is the the cutter that is going to make everything work. The, he's talked about how he wants to throw that thing harder. Part of the reason he was sent down to the minor leagues before was to throw the cutter harder. Uh, and once he threw the cutter harder, he was back up. So uh, he's obviously you know fiddling around with that. So maybe there's something that doesn't go 89 but has more depth that that would work for him. Um, you know, he's just a, a work in progress where he's got a great fastball. Uh, maybe reminds me a little bit of a young Ty Walker, um, you know, Taiwan Walker, because he's got the great fastball and he's just trying to figure out some secondary stuff that goes with it. And maybe that would be a slider. Uh, but I don't, you know, at this point, everyone knows it's a slider league and most people come to the major leagues with a good slider. Yeah. And, and we were also looking at, you know, potential relief pitchers that maybe could, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really tough thing because the thing about Cole Reagan's was, is he was just put into like one, two inning outings, pretty much his entire Ranger time this year. And then he was unleashed with the Royals. So then it's like, do you go and look at relief pitchers that 
maybe could get stretched out if a team wanted to. You know, the two that jumped out to me when we were doing it, but I don't know if e- if either one can get out of it. But when we were looking at the 30-day marker for um, uh, for four-seam velo, I, I don't know, Carlos Hernandez just jumped out to me. You know, he's throwing 99-6. That was the fastball, and that's a guy who had been a starter in the past with the Royals. But they've also traded away, and he might likely, most likely, is probably just the closer in the future. But he kind of stood out to me. And then, uh, you know, you can't help it, but you want to talk about a guy that used to be a top pitching prospect as a starter who's putting up big velo, at least of the majors, is just Nate Pearson. But my problem with Nate Pearson, as I told you, I remember talking to Nate Pearson in like, what was it, like the AFL in like 2018. And he was like, I just went to driveline, you know, and it's like, so that guy's probably done everything. He's already been out there. So right. I don't know no, what would there's change. There's definitely no velo increase and he's definitely had his pitches shaped. It's more just for him about staying healthy. And that may lead to, uh, to being just in the bullpen, but yeah. So the identifier yeah. for you in the off season is going to be uh fastball, additional sliders. And then maybe as you had said to me as well, Maybe tracking fastball increases in spring training is more important than it's been before because that might be the starter kit of um, of identifying these guys that could break out when when we actually get velo numbers is going to be in spring training. Yeah, so I, yeah, I tend to think like I think one reason why when we study uh, if fastball increases in spring training and we we find uh, that it's pretty noisy is that we have these things where you know. Uh, we have pitchers who are starting pitchers who throw one inning their first time out and like, oh my gosh, their velo's up, but it's not because they just threw one inning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we're also reporting all these increases of like, oh, this guy's up 0.7 and you're like, mm, okay, yay. Uh, so I, I tend to think that maybe uh, if we did a study where we looked just at large increases in, in velo and large decreases, um, we would find more signal. Um, and you would have found that with Cole Reagans because he came in maxing at 99 and before he'd maxed at 95. So something like that should, should turn our heads for sure. Another thing that I think you could say, uh, and this wasn't hundred percent the case with Cole Reagans, but, um, we have to read between the lines a little bit. And so I would think that, um, hearing that a player was like, or seeing that a player is switching organizations, you know, like a young player, um, you know, that another team had been like, hey, there's a reason we're picking this guy up. You know what I mean? We're trading for this guy. Like, I think a little bit of like taking Oviedo uh, from the um, from the Cardinals. Right. You take Oviedo from the Cardinals. Cardinals don't have a, a huge like a great uh, reputation for for developing uh, strikeout pitchers in particular uh, or pitchers in general recently. Um, and you take him. Uh, from the uh, from St. Louis, where he's averaging ninety four nine, and in Pittsburgh he's averaging ninety six plus, right? And uh, you maybe maybe he was put on the way to ball program, you know what I'm saying? And maybe this is the first time he ever done it because he didn't do it with St. Louis, uh, who who not necessarily that kind of a program in terms of weighted balls, data, and tech. So. Uh, you know, I think changing. So just, just generally, these are things that we've heard before and they're not satisfying because it's not like a magic bullet for Cole Reagan's, but, uh, changing organizations, adding a slider, adding velo. Yeah. Those it's are, not satisfying because it's things. for most people, they can't that stuff forever. Yeah. And, but they can't go to like baseball savant and look at a couple of stats and be like, oh, that's the guy, you know, that's why it's probably yeah, gonna be less yeah, satisfying. I can't, for I can't sort for hasn't done weighted balls or like <laughs> needs a slider badly. <laughs> yeah. Sort for breakout incoming. So you just can't quite do that. Um, I guess you could look for people with weird reverse splits. Uh, you could look, you could look for weird reverse splits. Cause that's what, that's what Cole led Cole to get the slider. Oh, that, okay. That isn't, yeah, that, that, that's actually kind of a sneaky one you could do. So yeah, take a look yeah. at that. Um, some other prospect stuff that very good. Go check out the article, by the way, if you haven't, I think it's a buck a month right now, um, athletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can sign up, you can get access to that article. You can read through all of it, which I highly suggest you do. And in the off season, you know, is always going to have great stuff. Um, some other, I had a few other, like not so prospect prospects anymore. Just want to get your take on a few of these players and then we'll see what we can get to through the rest. Uh, our boy, Mason Miller. Mason Miller, I want to get your take, has been back since August 16th. He's had five appearances. His most recent, he got went to three, which is tied for the most. He has been pretty phenomenal since uh, he's come back. He's had one game where he got hit up. 
He has not given up a hit in his last two starts. And as a matter of fact, of the five, he's only given up hits in two of the last five. Velo is up, but the innings are just not there. Strikeouts, phenomenal. I mean, he just looks like that big power pitcher that's out there, but you know, he is still rehabbing and still not going deep. So any thoughts on Mason Miller through the end of this year and, you know, kind of stepping into next year? Um, I'm trying to do something here real quickly. 103, 145. So he's he's faced 145 batters in the minor leagues. And he has, he has 69 strikeouts. <laughs> Wait, what is that? This is just bonkers, dude. That's like uh, 69 over 145. 38%. 48, 48% oh, 48. strikeout oh, yeah. rate, dude. <laughs> wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. 48, dude. Right now in, in AAA, it's 55. Uh, uh, I mean, there's all it's all tiny samples, so it's kind of ridiculous. But if you add it all up, you get 48. That is amazing. I mean, he's he's Nate Pearson West, maybe. Um, is Mason Miller you know. the next Cole Reagans? Is Mason Miller the next Nate Pearson? Uh, I mean, I don't think I don't think it counts. No, because he yeah. already had the velo. You know, he's just the next. Is there a guy that was often injured in the minors and then just kind of Hunter Green like made it work? Mm. Hunter Green had a big, huge fastball. Implemented the slider later. He was injured for the first two years. And then, you know, when he came to the majors and he threw that 30% slider uh, last year, he looked like a completely new pitcher. So, uh, Kopech, I mean, I'm also thinking of like high velo pitchers is what I'm thinking of. Those two are kind of similar. But, I mean, you know, it's a a major black mark on, on, like, even Cole Reagans. Like, in terms of, like, dynasty value, Cole Reagans and Mason Miller, they're exciting, but the, the the health is a major mark on them. I mean, who would you rather have, Reagan's or Miller fine. Dynasty? <sighs> Reagan's put up more bulk, man. I mean, we're gonna get through all the season being excited about Mason Miller, and right now he has thirty nine innings on the season. That's not good. It's nothing. Yeah, it's not. So you go Reagan's well, over Miller? Well, could you? I think so. I mean. When could I expect, when's the next time I could expect 150 innings from Mason Miller? Will it ever happen? <laughs> That's what yeah, I'm no, I, I agree with you on this. I agree with you. On, like, I, I couldn't get over, like, that he had 30 minor league innings and then he was coming up to the majors and everyone's like, Mason Miller's like the number one guy. And it's like, I don't know. And then he got hurt and they're still not Which stretched out. predictable. I just don't know what this is. I don't know what he is. And um, Cole Reagans is a short sample size, but it's elite. It's it's an but elite he's also and a short throwing, sample he's size. Got just, he's going to put together more innings this year than uh, Mason Miller has ever put together in pro ball. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's going to throw more innings this year than Mason Miller has thrown in pro ball. Is Mason Miller going to be a closer at some point, or is he going to stick as a starting pitcher? In your mind, I mean that's the one nice thing is that. You know, if Reagan's gets injured and he comes back and he's not throwing as hard, is he necessarily a closer or, you know, the backup plan for Reagan's is probably not as, as the floor is probably lower because I do think that the worst case scenario for Mason Miller is he's the lights out closer. Which would be a great one. That's the kind of stuff he has. Yeah. Uh, A couple hitters and you can uh, pick a who'd you rather for dynasty. Royce Lewis, two straight three hit games Three grand slams in eight games. He has been on an absolute freaking tear. This is a not so prospect prospect, but he's healthy right now. Pushing, pushing my main event into possibly the money. He's been so good. Yeah. Okay. And then pairing with him, Jordan Walker, obviously highly touted prospect coming into this year, really kind of fell off in a lot of people's minds. But as of recent, he has six straight games with a hit, three home runs in that span. And uh, his current, as I'm trying to load this, currently 274 average, 14 homers, six stolen bases in just under 100 games. Going into next year or for Dynasty, who would you rather have, Jordan Walker or Royce Lewis? You know, they're actually uh, fairly similar in terms of walk, strikeout rate, max EV, barrel rate. Um, I'm going to take uh, Jordan Walker for the youth and uh, the uh, more intact ligaments. Um, I, I just have a feeling that he's going to outsteal, uh, Royce Lewis, uh, going forward. I'm a little surprised that Royce even has four this year. 
Um, but, um, you know, in terms of power, I think Jordan Walker is going to be right there. I think Jordan Walker has more power upside even than Royce Lewis. Um, and because of walk and strikeout rate, I think that their, you know, batting average is going to be pretty similar. So I'm taking Jordan Walker. Uh, but Royce Lewis has really opened my eyes. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be worse after, uh, ACL surgery and now he's had two. Uh, but, uh, he's showing the doubters wrong on that one. You know, I'm actually surprised that you said that, but that in a good way, because I think the recency of what Royce is doing is going to really rocket his, uh, I think Royce is going to go quite a bit higher than Jordan Walker in redraft leagues next year. But I also mm-hmm. think that Jordan Walker is a really good offseason buy right now because, yeah. you know, under 100 games, if you were if you didn't have this whole story of like him coming up and then getting sent down and then some struggles and whatever. And you were just like if you were to get, let's say, 15 homers and, and eight stolen bases in like 110 games like you wouldn't you wouldn't call that like a huge failure for a prospect. No. It's just the value of who he is coming into the year. He hits the ball really high, low, uh, high, lower strikeout rate than Royce, better walk percentage than Royce. And I think the he's shape, coming into it. The shape of his season will also mean that some people will have missed the good year, the good months. You know, some people will have not really checked into him because you don't always, if he's not on your team or, yeah. or your team was bad and you stop paying attention at some point, like, there are people who will have missed that he, he even had a season this good. They'll have put in, in their head, Jordan Walker was a bust last year or whatever. And, and those are the people that also check out early and you can take advantage of. So that would be someone I would buy. As far as current prospects go, wanted to throw throw this your way. Uh, Jason Dominguez, over the weekend, two homers. He has hits in all three games that he has played. 63% hard hit rate, 18% barrel. He's at 102 on max EV. I've been yeah, very... one, He has a 110 in AAA, so... Yeah, and tra- yeah, we've seen the big hard hit. I've been espousing him for quite some time, and when he got called up, I said, "Listen, if you're in a fifth, if you're in a twelve team five outfielder, I'm one hundred percent picking him up." I think he hit three this weekend. Um, Jason Dominguez, thoughts on this kind of early? It's obviously very early. One of the things I said, you know, I'd actually be curious what you have to say about this, is that um, you know, obviously he's like improved his walk rate, the strikeouts are attempting to get better. I thought he could succeed extra here. Because I don't think there's enough time in the season where you're going to have massive adjustments. Pitchers doing, you know, we see that massive, what's that big adjustment period? Like the three week, the four week mark of a prospect Mm. being up where there's a lot more of a sample size on these guys. And I think that adjustment period is just not going to really happen. And, And obviously I just think his tools are through the roof. So I think he had a chance to succeed pretty well in this short period of time. But, um, any takeaways from this, you know, just few games that Jason's played. You know, I I just remember Ian Khan saying, you know, this guy's it. And Ian Khan made some pretty aggressive moves in terms of trading really established names in uh, Dynasty Leagues for Jason Dominguez. And uh, I thought, you're crazy, dude. I mean, this is happening in like early 2022 where you're talking about an A-ball kid who's 19 years old or whatever. And I'm like, like there's a million guys like this, you know? Um, but, uh, I think he, you know, there's something he was, uh, that he, he likes, uh, you know, stuff that I can't see as well, which is a sort of demeanor and, uh, some of the psychological aspect of, of how a player plays on the field. And he just saw someone who was dominant and, um, you know, took over when he played on the field. And that's something I really appreciate about Corbin Carroll actually, is that I feel like he's trying to be the best player on the field every time he's out there. And uh, that's why I thought his series against Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, including that game where there was like it was 20 to 18 or whatever it was, was so compelling to watch because, you know, both those guys wanted to do everything. They wanted to get on base. They wanted to steal base. They wanted to hit homers and they wanted to be better than the other guy, you know. Um, And I think I, I think, you know, there's some aspect to that that is important. I don't know that I think there are probably guys who flame out that wanted to be the best guy on the field, too, you know. Um, but uh, there's something about the drive. There's something there uh, that I don't always fully appreciate. And I think Jason Dominguez, I think he has it with the, the capital I, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he might be better than his minor league numbers in some ways. I mean, he's going to a park that augments offense um, and he's shown like you know, plus plate discipline, uh, in the past. So I'm not super worried about the chase rate yet. Um, and, uh, 
he hits the ball super hard and can run real fast. So, I mean, this is a guy who also everybody in New York is kind of looking to, and that might be a great combination of a guy who wanted to be the guy and New York is looking to him right now to be, you know, rescue our future, you know, and he could just be the starting center fielder next year and hit what, 250, 260 with uh, 20, 25 homers and 30, 35 steals next year. Like that's within the range of possibilities. It'll be fascinating to see where his draft stock is and what it looks like next year. And uh, who's higher, Royce Lewis or Jason Dominguez or Jordan Walker, you know, between all those guys where it's going to go. But I agree. He is up for the task and he's a um, he's a cool character, man. He you know, he's not phased by a lot, even in the bad results. And it points in the minors and it was able to push through it. Lastly, just want to throw speaking of some top prospects that are going out big to end the year. Don't know at this point if we're going to see them. There's always a possibility as the season, the double A down season ends around like the 15th. So these guys could be moved up uh, because triple A ends at the end of the year. But three guys to just be paying attention to Jackson holiday is actually going up to triple A. He did not get the move up to the majors to me kind of also says that he might be an AFL guy because he's going to AAA, not going to the majors. Though at the same point, push, they might just say push like the uh, plate appearance. He's going to be, a, I bet you he's going to be the AFL because we're talking even now we're talking about four and 11, 411 plate appearances. They want him in the big leagues next year for 600. So yeah. they're one of, that's what the AFL is often about is just pushing that plate appearance number tiring them out you know mike trout was tired bryce harper was tired uh buster posey was tired and th- it's supposed to be to tire them out to to make them feel what like a 600 plate appearance season feels like the, the guys in the final week they want to leave i've asked them like, i remember asking mm-hmm. parker meadows and he was just like i'm ready to go <laughs> like, i'm ready to go yeah. they're out of here but like going to triple a this going to the end of september and if he were to do afl that's going to push five five hundred easy over on yeah. the plate appearances so that looks like that's where that's going but Hitting 333 with a 451 OBP across all three levels so far this year is Jackson Holiday. I wish I had some batted ball data. I just want to know. You're going to get some. You know, I want to know what's underneath. Yeah, AAA and AFL has some batted ball data. I, I just want to know what's underneath um, that, you know, the 174 ISO in IA and 169 in AA um, could go either way. That could be all legs. You know, if it's all legs, then I like them a little bit less. Uh, but he's, I mean, otherwise he's, uh, number one prospect. He's a freak. Uh, also in AAA, Jordan Lawler, 349 in AAA, two homers in August in Reno. And that's like around 40 at bats. And he has seven hits over his first two games in September. This is another one of those guys that, you know, I was surprised that Ambex didn't call it before. He has been hot as can be going up to AAA PCL, but you might potentially, he's not going to go to the AFL cause he played last year. We might get a short run of him. I think you could see him in the major leagues. I mean, yeah, that's what right I'm now. Yeah, the D backs uh, are three games out or two games out of uh, yeah, three games out of of the wild card race. Um, what what do you? I guess this is the the use case. The D backs do well against the Cubs this weekend. Yeah. And then right, because if yeah. they do poorly, then they kind of fall out, and they're like, "Well, what do we want to like? Do we really want to start?" That's why I think Lawler could come up. I mean, you're you're only under 100 at bats. I think under 50 at bats so far in AAA, but offensively, you could use it. And I really think you should pay attention to him if you're looking for it. Um, you know, looking for a little bit of a boost at the back half of the year. But in I in redrafts, yeah, he could in be a, a guy to yeah, like if you yeah, if he's coming up, he's going to play, and he probably just takes shortstop. I don't think he's breaking camp next year. And then finally, just want to throw this out. He's in double A. I think this is another AFL candidate. Junior Caminero, um, since August 1st, has 12 homers. He's in double A right now. And my friend Chris Clegg tweeted about this. This was a couple days ago, so this might be a little bit old. He had 35 batted balls of over 110 this year. And that would be the fifth most BBEs including the majors, only Acuna, Otani, um, Vlad, and Stanton had more. So this is a minor leaguer in double-A with an absurd amount of 110-plus hits this year, and a couple of those homers over the last couple of days were of the 110-plus variety. So Junior Caminero is going to be a hot name to pay attention to and has the opportunity to break camp with the team next year, and we might see him in the Arizona Fall League, which a lot of us will be able to get some hopefully more of that batted ball data. 
That's it. Yeah, he's super exciting. I, I, I wish he could play shortstop. Um, this year they have played him at shortstop twenty games. Uh, but they might have an opening. Him, they, they might have an opening. Fifty three games at third base. Uh, uh, for Tampa, so uh, the Fangraphs fielding is thirty fifty. That's not normally what you see uh, on a possible shortstop. But, uh, you know, with Taylor Walls uh, and Basabe, uh, you know, he could be a guy that plays some shortstop um, and seeds the way to Basabe or Walls defensively later in games or something. So uh, he also is the kind of guy that I think will just hit his way onto the roster sooner rather than later. Um, I don't know if he'll break camp with the team because the team loves to have like this Luke Rayleigh guy hanging around. Um, you know, they always like have some older guy. They're like, we really want to make room for him on this team. And Hey, the, the proof of the process is good. Luke Rayleigh has been good this year. He's been, he's in the running for the rookie of the year at like 28. Uh, but, um, you know, I I do think he will play what, like 400 plate appearances in the big leagues next year or something like that. Yeah. And one thing I would look for is if he does go to the AFL, where do they play him positionally? You know, do they play him a lot of third base? Or does he exclusively play Maybe shortstop? They just try to put him shortstop for the whole AFL just to be like, does this work? Yeah, let's see if it works. That's that's kind of what that place is for. So there yeah. you go. That is the season finale of the Project Prospect going a little bit over an hour. Uh, Eno and myself. Again, we will have nuggets of prospects into every episode. We will be back again tomorrow, but starting next week, it'll go to two episodes. So make sure you guys are locked into that. And uh, get yourself an athletic subscription. Go to athletic.com slash rates and barrels. And just thanks everybody for hanging out for Project Prospect all year long. It's the reason I got to be here and do the show was because um, these guys wanted to talk prospects and you guys listened. So I really appreciate that. Find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris or X, whatever. Find me at Is It The Welsh. And we'll be back tomorrow for your regularly scheduled rates and barrels. For Eno, I'm Welsh. Goodbye for now, friends. Thanks for listening. 